Good morning, church. Thanks, Jessica, for sharing that with us. Are you in the room? Oh, there she is. Thank you. I mean, it, boy, just as a pastor, what I love to see is people just living by faith, right? Doing things they're not sure that they can do just because they've heard God and they want to obey and see where God takes them. And you know, God is pleased we live by faith. And uh, we have a God who I think delights to do more than we can ask or imagine, kind of to do the unexpected. So uh, that's just encouraging. It always makes me happy. So why are you here right now? Like, what are you doing here? You don't have to be here. You know that, right? Like, you could be somewhere else, doing something else, and yet you're here. Why are you here? Share God's word. Shh, don't jump ahead. Ed. <laughs> that was good. Someone wanted a cinnamon bun. Okay, all right. You lure them in with cinnamon buns, and then you hit them with the word. Boom. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, you're going to have a variety of answers to that question. What are you doing here? Uh, some of you, yeah, you're, you never really thought of it. And you might ask, yeah, what am I doing here? Maybe you're here just because this is what you do. You don't think about it. It's your habit. You've always done it. Sunday morning, you wake up and you go to church. For some of you, you might say, well, I'm here because I think this is the right thing to do. I think this is what God wants me to do. It's right to be here. Uh, or maybe you're here because there's someone else thinks that it's right for you to be here. And you're kind of here against your will, if you're to be honest, a little bit. And if that's you, if you're here against your will, just give us a subtle sign, like just cough a couple of times, just kind of softly. Yeah, some of you, you're here. I knew that was going to come from Monica. I don't even want to look at her over there. Um, maybe you're here because you just find when you come here, you just leave uplifted. Just uplifted. Maybe we're not even sure why. Maybe you're here this morning because you enjoy connecting with people and you're hoping that there's a few people you're going to run into and you're going to reconnect with some friends. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're here this morning because you want to worship God. I grew up as a, a pastor's kid, and so it's just what I did. There was just no question. You know, we all have these traditions or habits that we perpetuate without really knowing why we do them or even thinking about why we do them. It's just what we do. For instance, like shaking hands. They said during COVID, oh man, like COVID is just going to, we're going to be so different. We're never going to shake hands again. Right? Like we learn to actually greet one another by tapping feet. You ever do that? Or maybe tapping elbows? And I don't know about you, but then COVID is kind of over, and like all of a sudden, like I'm just reaching out the hand. It's just right back in there. We're shaking hands. And you ever thought about how like weird that is? I mean, hands are gross. Do you know where those things have been? Like I've, I was in the men's washroom after first service. Not everyone's washing their hands, people. Okay. You know, let that just sit there for a moment. <laughs> kind of gross when you think of it. And yet it's just kind of what we do. We, we, we shake hands. We're not really sure why. And I, and I think this is, I don't know to what degree this is true or, or just uh, myth or whatever, but it is true that Julius Caesar, back over 2,000 years ago, he made a law in the Roman Empire that you had to shake hands with your right hand. See, I'm left-handed. 
So it might be more natural for me to shake with, with my strong hand. But Julius Caesar, he was left-handed too, and, and he instituted the right-hand handshake. It was a law because him being left-handed, when he would greet someone not really sure if they're a friend or foe, he would take the hand that was likely their strong hand, their sword hand, while leaving himself as a left-handed man free with his good hand to take his sword if he should need it. It was to his advantage to shake with the right hand. And so he made a law. We will shake with our right hands in the room. And ever since, this is what we do. We shake with our right hands. I mean, there's tons of these things, little traditions, habits that we will perpetuate. We're not even sure why. Is that why you're here right now? Is that why church? And, and that's really the question kind of over this six-week series that we're looking at, the series we're calling Better Together, trying to answer that question, why church? I mean, we've come through COVID. Everything's been turned upside down. Habits have been broken. Newer things have been experienced. Why church? And so last Sunday, if, if you were here, we just kind of opened this series by, by seeing that we as human beings, we were made for a community. Just the way we're wired. But, but even as Christians, those followed or called to follow Jesus, those who believe in him, that when God called us to follow him, he called us into community, right? Which he calls the church. To be called to Christ is to be called into the community, the church. I mean, that's what the word church means, right? Literally, it's from the Greek word ecclesia, which means people that gather together for a purpose, to be organized on purpose. And so you see that there in Acts chapter 2, the verses that were just read, Peter, he preaches this message, and, and a whole bunch of people believed, they repented, they were baptized, and it says they were added to their number, 3,000 of them added to their number on that day. Who's their number? He's talking about the church. 3,000 were added to the church. And then it describes in the next words what they did. These things they did together. It says that they met continually in the temple courts daily. This group, the church. And they met in one another's homes in more intimate settings. This is what they did right from the very beginning as the church. And so last week, we talked about how we are made for community. And the spiritual community of God is the church. But over these next five weeks, we're going to try to answer the question, what are we supposed to do when we gather? So we're together. Why do we do what we do when we come together? Should we be doing what we do? Should we be doing something different? Should we be, should we be doing something better? And so we're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to look at, there's probably more than five, but five key things that we do when we get together and why we do them. And so each of these five uh, things we're going to look at, we're going to kind of answer or uh, ask three questions. What are we to do? Number one. Secondly, why do we do it together? And thirdly, how do we do it well? And so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is that we are called by God when we gather together to listen together, to listen together. Acts chapter 2 there, it said when they believed and 3,000 were added to their number, the very next words are, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is they listened to the word of God or to the words about Jesus. I mean, the apostles were those guys that Jesus had called the disciples, who he had called and he had equipped and he had empowered now to carry on his mission with him going back up to his father. And they were to deliver the words, the word of God. And what is the apostles teaching for us? I mean, they're not here anymore. I'm not an apostle. Okay. But the apostles teaching we have, it's called 
the Bible, right? It got recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The words of Peter, the words of Paul, the words of John, the apostles recorded for our benefit today so that today we could be devoted to the apostles' teaching just as they were. We are called firstly to listen to God's word together when we gather. Now something I'll hear Daniel say from time to time, it's a Danielism. And it's really weird. Let's be honest. I'm kidding. No, it's, it's insightful. But Daniel will often say this. Everything we do teaches. He's very thoughtful. Sometimes too thoughtful. Hey, let's make this a cool atmosphere. You know what the hip churches are doing? They're dimming the lights. Let's dim the lights. Because we're a hip church. And then Daniel goes, why are we dimming the lights? Um... Yeah, why are we doing the lights? Well, like, isn't the whole point that we're supposed to come together and be community? And isn't the whole point of dimming the lights to kind of like separate community? So it's just like the platform up there and it's me isolated from the people beside me so I don't have to feel like I'm together with another group of people. It's dark, I can't see. I'm like, stop ruining this. But he's very thoughtful. But this is what he'll say. Everything we do teaches, and you know what, he's right. He's right, everything we do teaches. The way churches are built teach. You've probably been in a whole bunch of different churches, different types of churches that look differently. Their platform looked different. Like for instance, maybe you've gone to Europe and you've been in some of those old churches, probably Catholic churches, or maybe those type of churches here. And what you would find if you entered any of those churches, even today, is you'd find this. You'd find on the platform something in the middle, a table. And what is that table that's in the middle? That's the altar. Well, it's called the altar. It's the table where the mass is given, the Eucharist, right? The body, which, or the blood, or the, the, the bread, which is broken, which represents, or does somebody believe that physically is the body of Christ? And then the, the cup, which represents the, the blood of Christ shed for us. And so the table is at the center. And it's a way of saying, and if you go to any of those churches, that's what you'll always see. The table is at the center. And what do you see to the side? The pulpit is kind of over here, right to the side. And that's where the word of God is, is read and preached. It's over there. But at the middle, the primary thing that gathers us is this table. Why? Because what that is teaching, whether you know it or not, is that the primary way that God nourishes, spiritually nourishes, nourishes his people is through the act of taking the sacrament. That's why it's in the middle. Okay? That's the primary way God nourishes. It's by taking that. And then the Reformation happened about 500 years ago, and and people kind of came back to this principle that the scriptures and the scriptures alone are our ultimate authority in all things. And so they rethought church. They rethought what all of this taught, and then they did something different. And so probably like in this church, they did this sort of thing. You look at the next picture. This is an old Reformed church, right? A church that had been... um, Uh, part of the Reformation movement. And if you look at that, I don't know if you can kind of see that, at the bottom is that table, the Lord's table. But what you see in the center at the top is what? The pulpit. The pulpit, which is that place where the word of God is read and preached. And that's very intentional. Why that was brought to the center, because everything we do teaches. Our buildings teach. And what that's supposed to teach is that actually the primary way they discover biblically that God nourishes spiritually his people is through the word of God read and the word of God preached. That's the primary way God nourishes his 
people. And so Jesus will say in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the word of God that brings life. And we see this through the scriptures in different ways, in different places. For instance, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 say this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How does God lay bare everything? How does God speak? How does does he work in our lives? It says that his word, the word of God, is alive and active. It is the thing that he uses. He still speaks into our lives to penetrate right to the core of it, right? To cut to the heart. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this. These are the words of God now. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Which means every time God's word goes out, he is speaking through it, he is working in it. They are not dead words. And he has a purpose for those words. And that purpose will be accomplished. And what is his purpose for his word when that goes out? Well, I think the Bible shows us ultimately that there are two purposes God has to accomplish through his word. And the first is this, that God uses his word to save us. Right, the Bible is very clear. God uses his word to save us. Paul will say in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ, that is the, the good news of the gospel. Where does faith come from? How is saving faith born in a person's heart? That belief, it comes in hearing the word of God, the gospel. You know the gospel, the good news, right? That news that God made you, me, that he made all people to know him, but that each one of us in our sin, we have turned away from God and we have separated ourselves from him and that life, but because of the greatness of his love for us, he didn't leave us there. He sent his son Jesus into the world to take on flesh, to become one of us, to live a perfect life so that on the cross he could die as a perfect substitute for sinners like us so that if we would turn to him and trust in him, we might be forgiven, reconciled to God and experience the life that he created us to have. Through faith in Jesus. Right? That's the good news. That's the word about Christ. And Paul says, when that goes out, God uses that to bring about in people's hearts faith that saves them. And he makes that clear earlier in Romans chapter 116 when when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Why should I be ashamed to proclaim this message? Kids, why should you be ashamed in school to talk about your faith? Why should you be ashamed? It is, the, it is what God uses. God empowers that when it goes out. You don't have to be eloquent. It's not about your ability to be smart enough to say something. God adds power to his word so that it, when it goes out into people's minds and its hearts, it brings about faith that saves that is God's purpose in his word. 
It's a word that brings life. And so back in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, right? Peter proclaims this, and it says that many of them were cut to the heart. That's what that means. They were cut to the heart. So God uses his word to save us, but it also makes clear that God uses his word to sanctify us, to shape us so that we become, you know, sanct, saint, holier, more like God, more the way that we ought to be. God uses his word to sanctify us in, in, in this lifelong process. And so Jesus will pray this. John 17, 17 is the last prayer before he goes to the cross. In praying to his father, he says about us, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus says God's word is true, and it's God's word that sanctifies us. Right? So, and, and he'll say in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, right, when he's talking about the relationship between you know, husbands and wives, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Jesus uses the word to cleanse, to make holy, to present her to himself as a radiant church that would stay in a wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So when God's word goes out, God is using that when it goes into your mind and into your heart to shape you, to sanctify you. And so at the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church, um, back in the Middle Ages, they had this kind of Latin motto. It said, it was semper idem, which means always the same, always the same. But then these reformers, they came up with a semper motto of their own, a little bit longer. It was ecclesia reformata, semper reformata, secundum verbum dei. So you repeat that back to me on the count of three. I love Latin. It just sounds cool. Maybe I should get up here and do this in Latin. Um, what does that mean? It means the church reformed, always being reformed according to the word of God. It's God's word that is continually shaping us, right? Conforming us to be the people that God wants us to be in the, that work he does to us through his word when we hear it. I've, I think I've shared this before, but I remember um, hearing about uh, a man who, who, who had a friend, and the friend asked him, like, why do you always go to church? There's no boring sermons like how many sermons do you even remember over the years and the guy said you know to be honest not very many and so his friend said well then what are you doing that for it's not a waste of time and the man thought and he said no you know he said i don't remember all that many meals i've eaten over the years but i know that every single one of them nourished me and i don't even have to remember it to know like that it nourished me and that's that's what the word of god does when it says it sanctifies us in ways that you don't even know God is at work when you hear. He's shaping you. A healthy church and a healthy Christian is one who hears the word of God and continues to hear it. And I think that's the reason that this activity is the very first one when it describes the first church on that first day, right? What was the first thing it says about them? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they did other things. They prayed and they held everything in common and they gave and they served one another and all that and that's all good. But is, is it just kind of, is there any rhyme or reason to the order of that? I think it's important. The very first thing is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because God's word is the ground of everything else. It is that which everything else flows from. 
the receiving and the understanding and the shaping of God's word. That's why it's primary. Everything else flows from it. It is the ground of everything else that we do. So it's first. When we gather, we're called to listen to God's word together. That's why listening to God's word read and preached is the focal point of our space here. I mean, that's why I'm here instead of over here. So one of those little things say this, what happens is central to God's purposes, why he calls us to gather. It's the focal point of our space and of our time. This is why the sermon is the longest portion of our service, whether you like it or not. I remember being in, in my previous community, Blind River, and there was another church there. And, you know, it was one of those kind of old declining churches. But to be honest, I thought they had departed from the truth. They weren't really preaching the Bible anymore. I remember, I remember the pastor there telling me, like, I can't preach more than seven minutes. Like, they, I can't, like they, they won't listen for more than seven minutes. So that's my max, seven minutes. And I thought, I'm not even done my intro in seven minutes. <laughs> right? For good or for bad. I mean, I mean, you might be here going, like, I wish I had a pastor like that. I could co- <laughs> keep it to yourself. But, like, I mean, what does that say? If you say, man, I, they can't cope with more than seven minutes. That's when they start to twitch. It's like, hmm. Do they understand what's happening here, right? What this is for, what this is all about. The sharing, the listening of God's word is primary, which is why Paul says to this young pastor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.13, he says to him, until I come to you, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Devote yourself to the public Reading of scripture, preaching, and teaching public. He's not talking about go out in the street corner, downtown, although maybe that's fine. Maybe that's good. He's not saying go to the school. This should happen in the school. He's saying when you gather together as the church, make sure, pastor, that you are devoted to the public reading, to the reading of God's word, and the preaching of God's word. So we are called then to listen to the Bible read and the Bible preached. That's the first reason that we gather together. But, but then that begs the question, well, I can do that in other ways. Like, why do I need to listen? I can listen in other ways. Why do I need to listen together with these people? Like, why do I need to get in my car when it's cold outside and drive here and sit beside someone that has a bit of B.O. and listen in this way? when I can listen in other ways. I can open my Bible at home and read it and listen. I can turn on the television or the radio or go to YouTube and I can listen all day long. And you know what? That's great. I hope you're listening, just you, with the Bible at home. I hope at times, you know, you're you're going and you're finding some good teaching in other places. And I know during COVID, we discovered there's all sorts of different ways to listen. And I know there were people that were watching three church services every Sunday. And I tried not to take it personally. What? Like, good enough for you? And then they said, no, 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 it's not you. Like, you weren't one of the three. So, <laughs> so no, like, it's nothing on you. Oh, okay. So, I mean, we discovered there's all sorts of ways to listen out there. And, and I've heard, like, many people that have started to listen to more. And that's good. I, I've, I've discovered good podcasts and other preachers and teachers. And that's a wonderful thing to devote yourself to listen in those settings. But is there reason to listen together in this way? 
And, and I just want to, in the next few minutes, give you what I think are four reasons from the Bible that God calls us to listen together when we gather as one church. Okay, and the first is this. God has entrusted you into the care of a shepherd or shepherds. God, when he called you, he called you into community, not just some like ethereal church. He called you into a local body of believers. That's his God's will. You are a part of a flock. You are a body where you can practice this together. That is God's design. That's his will. That's his command. Right? So God calls sheep into a flock, and then God calls shepherds to care for that flock. And he entrusts them, and he gives them the responsibility to care to that flock and to minister the word of God to that particular flock. And so you'll have this at the end of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, when it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. <coughs> Something in my throat, I should read that again. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Oh, we don't like, like that, that actually is hard for me to, to, to like say that because you know why? Because like I know, like we're one of those bad, like we're, we're kind of democratic. We're not really hierarchical. We kind of maybe bristle against that sort of stuff a little bit. And the NIV, it, it even recognizes that. So you know what it's done? Your version might say, obey your leaders. It softened that a little bit because we know how that word, that, that kind of the way that rubs us, right? So it says, have confidence in your leaders instead of obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Because God has entrusted to them the sacred responsibility to minister his word to this flock. So you, you better have good shepherds then, because there are bad shepherds too. And that's why, that's why Peter says, at the end of the first letter, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, he says, be shepherds, he's talking to the pastors, the elders of the church, be shepherds of God's flock who is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Right? God has given shepherds for each of his flock, and God then, part of God's reason for that is God speaks to the flock he ministers his word to the flock through the shepherds of that flock. God nourishes and guides, right? And I mean, even look at the New Testament. What are these books? Why am I reading a letter written to Galatians? That's weird. I can't find Galatia on a map. But I got a letter to the Galatians and the Thessalonians and the Philippians and this is my Bible, and you know what a part of that is? And, and, and obviously, it's God's word to us. We benefit from it because it's true for them and for us. But when you read it, you realize Paul is talking to a specific church that needs to hear something specific, right? He talks to the Corinthians, and he says this about the Corinthians, and he talks to the Galatians. You need to hear this, right? Different flocks need to hear different things at different times. And that's the, that's the responsibility of shepherds of a flock is to, is to kind of pray and discern and to trust that God is speaking that right word to the flock that he wants them to receive. You know, so it's good to listen to God's words in, in all sorts of other ways, but that should never replace what God wants to speak to you as a part of this flock, if this is your flock, through the shepherds of this flock. I mean, there's lots of great pastors out there. I'm going to be honest. I, like, I don't want to give you ideas, but there are better preachers out there. Yeah, they got better sermons. 
they're more charismatic, funnier stories. They dress better. Right? Sermons are a bit shorter. But some are longer, Daniel noted. Some are longer. All other pastors are saying great things to their flock, but those things are great for their flock. God has something for this flock that you are a part of. He has specific things he wants to say to New Life Church. And so when you are missing gathering together, this isn't to say be here 52 Sundays of the year. That's not what this is about. Okay? It's to say when you neglect the purpose of that, when you neglect the gathering, you are missing what God intended to say to you. And so if you, you miss it, there's other ways to hear it. But that, that's number one. God has entrusted you into the care of, of specific shepherds um, as a part of a flock. Secondly, listening together helps you better understand what you hear. Why do we listen together? Because you might hear that and go, oh, so God speaks through you. You'll tell us what the Bible says. No, 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 no. I can, I can discern the, I can read for myself. And I don't want you to misunderstand, and Paul didn't want anyone to misunderstand that either. Somehow, your job is just to uncritically receive what's given to you. Don't ask questions, sheep. Just take, this is what God says. Because listen to what he says. How he commends the church in this town in the ancient world called Berea. Listen to how he speaks about the Bereans. This is Acts 17, verses 10 to 12. He says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there... They went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Brian Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica who received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day, or your, your version might say, and tested the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Um, what he's saying is they listened and then they examined. They tested. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean they took their Bible and went home and, is that really what it says? Which is great too. But they didn't have Bibles. They, that, that examined, tested, that, that wasn't a solitary individualistic task. They didn't have Bibles at home. Like these, these were scrolls, right? What did that mean? They examined. It meant in the context of community, they dialogued about it. They asked questions. Well, if you said that, how does that fit with that? I don't quite understand. He said they weren't just sheep that just took it and then went and had lunch and that was the end of it. They actually engaged with the text in the context of conversations with one another and debating and asking the teacher, hey, what did you mean when you said that? How does that fit with that? And he said, because of that, because they listened, but then they also tested, as a result of that, they believed. Which is to say, as a result of that, that communal work, they understood God's word better. And, you know, th there's lots of great stuff online, and there's lots of terrible stuff online. But one thing you can't do outside the context of relationship, being in person, is you can't engage together. You can't ask, what did you mean when you said? Help me understand. How does that fit with this? You just hear something, and then you walk away, and you're all by yourself. 
But in person, when you're together, when you have access to the teacher, you have the ability to ask. And when you hear it together with others, you have the ability to discuss in a way that allows you to hear better. So that's the second reason. Listening together helps you better understand what you hear. You can't do that alone in your home with a YouTube video. The third reason is um, that God calls us, I think, to listen together in the scriptures is that when we come together, you can't filter what you hear. Which is to say, you don't know what's going to be read or preached when you come here. Like, you don't get to decide. You just receive what is given. And you will be happy. (laughs) But maybe you're not, and that's kind of the point. Right? Because um, it's it's actually not a good thing to always choose what it is you hear. Because you know what you do? You choose the things that you want to hear. Or you choose the things that you think you need to hear. But what if the things that you need to hear are not the things you want to hear? What if God knows what you need to hear? And you would never choose on your own to read that book or to watch that YouTube video with that title. And it's great to go to YouTube and go, oh man, I'm struggling with an anxiety. I can really listen to a sermon about how to deal with anxiety. Well, that's great. And, and I've heard people say over, over COVID, oh man, like I've really found this great teacher and I, I, I kind of listen to him because he talks about this particular thing and I like to hear about that. Okay, that's great. But we're missing a part of God's design for what we get to gather is we don't get to filter what we hear. And this is what Paul means in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when he says, uh, I have not hesitated, he's speaking to the Ephesians, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And what he means is, he's not saying, hey, in my time with you, I've preached every single word of the Old Testament at least once. No, what he's saying is, I have not shrunk back from addressing the hard things, the uncomfortable things, the things that you maybe didn't want to hear, but needed to hear. I have not hesitated. I have given you the whole counsel of God. And that's a part of the purpose of gathering, to receive the whole counsel of God and not just becoming a mirror of oneself, finding the things that already reflect you. And so Paul would say to the young pastor, Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Verse 2 to 4, he says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn, they will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. There's going to come a time when people will pick their own teachers who will say the things that they already want to hear. They will filter it, right? Because God's word sometimes is uncomfortable. And it has to be. You can't get convicted without being uncomfortable. And you can't be conformed and shaped without being convicted. He says, preach the word in season and out of season. He's not saying like, hey, winter, fall, summer, spring. He's saying when it's popular and when it's unpopular. What's trendy and what's untrendy. Pay no heed to that. Share the whole counsel of God's word. You know, because I think even naturally we can be selective, can't we? We can gravitate to the things that we just find more interesting or the things that 
we think we want or need and away from the things that maybe we find uncomfortable. And I remember earlier in ministry, and I hesitate to say it because you're going to go, I wonder who he's talking about. You don't know who I'm talking about. But earlier in ministry here, there, there was a couple who started to come into this church and, and really jazz and really getting into it. And it was all great. But, but then it came to light. There was one issue that just was like they couldn't know. That was, they were resistant to this one aspect of what the what word of God taught. And here's the weird thing. Every time they came to church, which was kind of sporadically, it always seemed to be when we were talking about that. And they thought we talked about it all the time because that's what they heard when they were here. What they did know is, oh no, we don't eat hamburgers for every meal. It's just every three or four months when you come, that, that happens to be when we're having hamburgers. And I remember this, the, one, the last Sunday, I got up and I saw their faces and I knew what I was preaching on. And I went, oh boy. Here it is again. They are not going to like this. And they didn't. And I haven't seen them since. And I was kind of sad at first. I'm like, oh Lord, I wish it was something different. I wish it was something that they could come and leave going, I was so uplifted today. God, why did you have to bring them here on that Sunday again? And then afterwards I realized what God was doing. He was saying, I'm bringing them on those Sundays. You can't filter the parts that you want and the parts that you don't want. That's not up to us to decide. God's will will dictate to us, or God's word will dictate to us that which is good, that which is right. So when we gather together, that's a part of God's design. You know that. You don't get to choose what you hear. And that's good. And fourthly, the, the, the last thing I want to share is when we become, uh, we, we listen together because we become accountable to obey what we hear together. Okay? It, James says in, in his letter, he says, don't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word, right? Don't just hear and think that's enough, but actually put it into practice. And so the Christian author, Jan, uh, John Maxwell, he says this, he says, Christians know more about the Bible than we ever plan on obeying. We don't need more food, we need more exercise. We don't need to know more, we need to obey what we already hear and know and that's a part of God's design for why we listen together. But Because when you know the person beside you heard the same thing you heard, now there's context for some accountability, right? Isn't that kind of what the whole like elbow thing is? You know, and I'm sitting there beside my wife, and, I, and we know that there's this thing, like, I, you know, maybe it's something about my marriage or whatever, this, this thing, and then the, the pastor or the word of God presents something that speaks to that. She heard it. And I heard it, and she knows I heard it, and I know she knows I heard it. And I can't avoid that. And then there's that awkward drive home. And that's a part of why we listen together, because when I listen alone, I hear those things, but they don't create a context for accountability. Whether it's, you know, parent, child, husband, wife, whether it's just us being a, being a family. We hear things together, and because we know we heard them together, we know that we are accountable to them together. There's positive peer pressure, right? It helps spur one another on. 
So that's why we listen together, because we come accountable to obey what we hear together, and that's what God wants us to do. Not just to hear, not just to know, but to obey. Okay, so those are at least four reasons. I've talked long enough. I just want to close by putting up here another slide and saying, so how do we listen well together? How do we listen well together? Show up faithfully. And what I mean by show up faithfully is on Sunday morning, when there's a service here, drive here and do what you're doing today. That's what I mean by show up faithfully. Believing that as a part of this flock, God has something to say to you through what happens here. Be consistent in listening. Listen to other places well. That's awesome. But show up faithfully to listen to what God intends to say to you as a part of this flock. And when you can't be here, and there are reasons, obviously, where that, there's, there, you know, you're on vacation, you're sick, you're working, whatever. It happens. No judgment. It's not what it's about. But we got a, we got a great YouTube video, and we got podcasts. You could, you could drive to work in the city and listen to the sermon, right? Show up faithfully. God speaks to you through message to the flock here. Uh, secondly, listen expectantly. Come to the message believing that God's word is living and active and he is going to speak to you through it. He will. Prepare your hearts. We have that little prayer before, before we read and preach, right? God, you're going to speak to us. Open our hearts. Like, actually pray that. Believe that. Prepare your hearts. Say, God, you're going to speak to me. Speak into my life. Cut to my heart. Show me what it is I need to know and what it is I need to do. Maybe you want to bring some listening aids with you. Maybe you want to bring, like, your own Bible so that you can turn there too. So that when you see the word and God just strikes that word, you can, you can circle that and you can make a note. Or you can go to our resource center and you can get our, our news, like, sermon notebook and have that ready so that when God like, just presents that thought or that idea or that insight, you can write it down so that you are ready because you expect God to speak. Listen expectantly. Engage honestly. What I mean by that is like, turn the monologue into a dialogue. Be like a Berean. Examine. Test. Converse. Inquire. Right? Whether that means going home, if you're, if you're with a family, with your others, and talking about it, dialoguing about it there, whether that means going to your life group and dialoguing about it there, or whether that means coming up to the pastor after, or, you know, making a call midweek and saying, I had a question about what you said, right? Engage honestly. And let me just say here, in two Sundays, October 2nd, we're having um, that evening, on, um, on Sunday, October 2nd, a church summit here kind of an all-church summit. We do it every fall, but COVID hasn't allowed us to do it in, in a couple of years, um, where we all come together, and we do. We turn the monologue into a dialogue, and we actually dialogue together as a church about what God is speaking to us and where he's leading us. And that's an important conversation and a meeting. And so that's one way of engaging. And so I invite you to put that on your calendar. You're going to hear more about that Sunday, October 2nd, to be a part of that time. And, and lastly, to apply obediently. Right, to put into practice what it is you hear. To ask God, after each time you hear the word read or you hear the word preached, God, how do you want me to live in light of this truth? Okay, God, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do now in light of what you have just spoken? Because, you know, God speaks through his word. Isn't that awesome? We have a God who is not dead. He's not... Thank you, sir. I like you. The rest of you, you're a work in progress. Yeah, I get it. 
We have a God who's not dead. He still speaks. He still speaks through his word uh, in, into our situation. Um, not so that we can know, but so that we can live. Right? So that we can live. We have a God who speaks and empowers his word to change us, to shape us, to save and sanctify us. And that's why we gather together. That's why we listen together. So let, church, let's just, let's be those where it can be said of us, man, New Life Church, they listen together. Let's practice that right now, okay? You can throw up those uh, just final questions. I, I, I just present this for you to, to ponder right now, to lay before God in prayer and to take home with you and to, and to continue to, um, you know, dialogue with God about. But here's the questions. How has God most powerfully spoken to you this morning in this message? And what is one way you can better listen together? Okay, putting this into practice, what is one way you can better listen together? Uh, let me pray as the team comes up to lead us in the final song. God, we, we lay those questions before you. Uh, you the one who, you, you are speaking still. And you speak into each of our lives, um, individually as families and as a church. And so God, would you show us um, what we've just heard this morning from your word, how, it, how is it, God, that we can live it out, put it into practice, not just go home here, have a great lunch, watch a football game and forget all about it. But Lord, just to be changed, shaped by your word. Lord, show, show us what it would look like uh, for us as a people to listen together better. We just thank you that you're a God who speaks. And we just want to say to you, God, we want to hear you. We want to hear you. We want you to shape us, Lord, for our good for the good of our world, for your glory. So we ask that in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And together we say, amen.